Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Jay King, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, and we are coming to you recording around 2.20 on, what is it, Wednesday? Wednesday after Celtics, a bad game one loss in overtime to the Miami Heat uh, right after the Celtics had their post-practice Zoom calls. And the thing that stood out to me most from that call, Jay, was Brad Stevens saying we are we're awful on transition defense or terrible, whatever negative adjective he used. Uh, he correctly conveyed the point that the Celtics equals bad when it comes to transition defense. Yeah, they were not good. And that was a a big reason why the Heat were able to come back from a 14-point deficit. I thought in the second quarter, the transition defense was bad. And in the fourth quarter, the transition defense was bad. Um, just the lack of floor balance, I thought was pretty evident. There was one play where Tatum shot a three from the top of the key and followed his shot. Like I remember that play. It was ran, awful. Ran right after his shot, and the Heat – got the rebound and threw it the other way and ended up getting a bucket partly because Tatum ran himself out of the play. And I know old school basketball guys would like to tell you to always follow your shot because you might get the rebound. But if you're at the top of the key, you need to get back. And I would be shocked if the Celtics rules or guidelines for crashing the offensive glass included telling Tatum on in that situation to go. So, and there were, there were a number of plays like that where they just weren't sharp enough getting back. Daniel Tice thought they complained too much after no calls and weren't getting back. And sometimes it was even after made buckets, like Kemba hit that shot over Jay Crowder. And then the Celtics were somehow scrambling on the other side of the court, Tyler hero. They had two guys on him. Then both guys left him and hero hit a three. So there were a, a number of possessions where they just weren't sharp enough against the Heat offense that forces you to be sharp. Yeah, and that's the thing about facing the Heat is they punish you when you make mistakes. They punish you with three-pointers because they are a very good three-point shooting team. Um, that Hero 3 was huge, but I can think of Jay Crowder uh, 
even just like defense out of side out of bounds plays where both Kemba and Tata lost him in overtime. Um, I mean, the Heat did a pretty good job of generating three-point looks in the half court, but especially in transition, basically any one of their guys is liable to be open for three, and you can't lose someone like Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson, even though Robinson didn't have a great game. You just can't lose them in transition, and it felt like that was obviously a point of emphasis in just uh, with what Brad said, with what Jalen Brown said. It's just like, we got to be better. There's no really excuse to what the like it's not like Miami was doing anything that special it's just like we were bad at communicating and we have to improve and yeah and the, the heat went 10 for 14 in the fourth quarter 10 for 14 so we talk a lot about the offensive struggles for Boston in the isolation part of it is because they were just playing against a half court defense every time and so if, if they play better defense all of a sudden th- those opportunities become better and better you're running back in transition or semi-transition, and then you're able to free up Kemba Walker, to free up Jason Tatum, to get Jalen Brown on the backside before the Miami Heat get their defense set. Yeah, and it's almost like uh, the it's a game that is played uh, fluidly where offense and defense are switching possession constantly. Because Intertwined, Brad, if you it, will. Yeah, it's they're like directly related, but the just as the kind of the Celtics – um, struggle on the defensive end leads to their stagnation on offense. Their stagnation on offense leads to their poor transition defense. Brad Stevens said something of the same thing. Where, uh It's like they pound the ball and then they're not locked in and then they miss a shot and then they have to struggle to get back. Um, what'd you think about Brad's comments regarding kind of the, the slow bound, like stagnant offense in the fourth quarter? I think that, I mean, that's been, abundantly evident just watching the last two fourth quarters they've really stagnated and this has been a team that doesn't really do that this has been a team that kind of fights through that urge and normally gets the ball movement normally has pretty offense even at the end of games the fourth quarter numbers the clutch numbers for the Celtics offensively were really great all season so it's a newer issue, um, but it's one they have to clean up really quickly because they almost blew game seven against the Raptors. They did blow game, game one. Game six against the Raptors, they blew with poor yeah. late game execution. And so they they need to figure that stuff out ASAP. Do you ASAP. think Kemba Walker is healthy? I mean, we saw him, I think it was a game one of the Raptors series where he like bumped knees and got up slowly, saw numbers about his shooting percentages since that have not been great. He has not really been good in the past five games. I've got a text after the game where uh, from my brother being like, how likely at this point are we going to see that uh, Kemba Walker has minor knee surgery after the series? Danger card are the same basically tweet this morning. Uh, Danger card, my brother, both smart people. Uh, what do you think he's actually healthy because he's not showing the, I guess, bounce or quickness, uh, especially late like that, that last play against Jay Crowder, where he could not be Jay Crowder, solid guy, sturdy dude, kind of a larger Brad Wanamaker, but someone Kemba Walker should be able to beat off the dribble. And he just, I don't know, he's slipping more. I don't know if that would be a product of having a sore knee. I don't, I'm just this is rampant speculation at this point, um, and I'll fully admit that. But do you think he's healthy, like fully healthy? Uh, I don't think he's fully healthy. I mean, if he were fully healthy, the Celtics never would have gone to the lengths they did during the seeding games 
to ramp up his minutes and never would have had him sit out the practices like they did when they got first got to the bubble. So he's not fully healthy. Um, is his knee an issue to the point where that's what's keeping him from getting buckets? I'm not convinced. Like a lot of those threes last night were really good looks. And I know the some of the shots were ugly, like the one on Crowder. Um, there was one possession. But he where, also had a crazy off one foot, like one-handed, like very nice bucket about like two possessions before that, which looked like kind of classic Kemba. And so, yeah, and then, I mean, there was the other play where he was trying to break down Hero, didn't really do it. Um, and the Celtics were kind of discombobulated at the end of the shot clock because of it. I didn't think – I thought he got some separation at times. Like when Duncan Robinson was on him in the fourth quarter, he got like five feet of separation and just missed his normal step back. It was a shot. Yeah, he, he shoots he a lot. Knocked down some of his mid-range step backs uh, in that fourth quarter, which like gives you some hope as a Celtics fan moving forward. I thought he did a better job. Certainly, it just seemed like he was. there's more space for him – in game one against the heat than there was at all for him in the Raptor series. Now you do have to give a lot of credit to Bam Adebayo for just being disruptive and being the other guy uh, kind of disrupting his space. But I did think Kemba like was able to punish guys occasionally, but uh, not consistently enough for uh, the Celtics to win the game. And it felt like um, him and you'd look at Tatum's like last seven shots it, some the step back at the end of the uh, regulation I have no problem with. He knocks that down, but he also had some long twos uh, that were not great in late shot clock where he was kind of attacking Bam, which doesn't seem – it seems like the Celtics can do more just in terms of getting into offense or getting more movement um, than just kind of relying on Tatum to do his thing. Although the man's was in his bag, like he was knocking down some of those nice fadeaway jumpers, but that shouldn't be the go-to uh, in kind of a clutch situation. Yeah, I think my colleague, our colleague, John Hollinger at The Athletic, wrote a good piece on kind of the Celtics prevent offense is what he called it, which I thought was on point. The Celtics weren't running offense with nearly the same pace in the fourth quarter that they did. They weren't able to get to the same number of options. And then at the end of a shot clock, they were just isoing and pounding the ball into the ground and trying to make something out of nothing. I think they need to go earlier, even if they're – up in the fourth quarter, they need to just keep playing and keep playing. And that I like they're almost as Hollinger put it, it's like they're running the ball three times and punting. You know, yeah. it, it, which it really felt like that in the fourth quarter. Like they were just trying to get to the end of the game rather than actually finish it. And and it feels like a lot has to do with getting into the paint and trying to do so with urgency. It felt like, uh, at least in that third quarter where they were playing really well, that's what happened a lot, and that's what kind of generates the open three-point looks. But the Miami was doing a real good job of trapping them um, and scrambling, but it felt like if you have the heat and rotation, uh, you got to just like keep punishing them and getting into the paint, and it felt like that's where it feels like they really failed down the stretch was um, – there's a couple possessions where Ty, like Tatum had a nice like dump off to Tice for a bucket, uh, and I think Kemba had another dump off to Tice. But um, other than that, they were not getting the ball into the paint, and that's like 
the paint points in the paint was a wild discrepancy in this game. Yeah, they got they got nothing in the paint. Like absolutely nothing. And and they didn't get to the free throw line. Like they weren't not they were not attacking the basket. They are like and I know it's tough with Bam at the rim like we saw at the end of overtime the man protects the rim uh with his hands, but they got to do more to attack the basket and kind of at least get to the line or kind of penetrate the defense to create more open looks. But they just, especially late, it just felt like passes are like, yeah, we'll do a a kind of a a screen and kind of get the switch we want, but then we'll just uh, not really running offense because Jalen Brown, it feels like did not touch the ball other than a big putback late uh, in the fourth quarter. Marcus Smart, um, I think knocked down a couple threes, but they didn't really feel like it was involved in the offense. It was like the Kemba and Tatum taking turns trying to go go at uh, the white boys. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's a mistake against this Heat team. I think like you got to make them guard. You got to make them go from side to side. You've got to use everybody. Um, and I, I thought, especially getting away from Jalen Brown, who, like you said, he can generate those paint touches and he can. Uh, you know, he he's maybe the best at it on their whole team of attacking the paint, especially if he does it in an advantageous situation. And I think some of that is on Kemba and Tatum. Like, they have to promote the ball movement. They have to be able to get in the paint and make better decisions and not just pound the ball and, and not settle for some of the looks that they were getting. I think they really need to get into their offense earlier. They need to be more urgent with their execution. You know, we talk about pace. It's not just running up and down the court as quickly as you can. It's like doing everything quicker. It's making a cut quicker. It's it's all that stuff. And the Celtics didn't do any of that down the stretch. Daniel Tice said they just stopped playing. <laughs> and, Which and was that's, very that's pretty, fair. pretty fair. Pretty I mean, fair. They, they were up 14 with about uh, 11 minutes to go and the kind of uh, choked the game away. So, I would suggest if a similar situation occurs in game two that they keep playing. Now that's just me not a basketball mind, but you know, it's a bold idea. That's a brilliant coaching strategy. Let me tell you, keep playing. That's why I'm a Kaizen junior. Uh, That's what they call me. Junior Kaizen. The kid Kaizen. (laughs) I can't, can't go stealing your nickname. You'd be the kid Kaizen and the guest at this point. Hi, I'm Tass Mellis from no dunks on the athletic. As the great philosopher Brian of the Backstreet Boys once said, Everybody, yeah, hydrate your body, yeah, everybody, hydrate your body, right? Hydration's back, all right! We all know we have to stay hydrated. I've used an app a big water bottle, post-it notes. And proper hydration is extremely important right now. It can really help your immune system. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. I like using Liquid IV when I hit that afternoon lull. Instead of grabbing a coffee, I grab one stick of the lemon-lime put it in my water, and I get that energy boost I need without dehydrating my body and getting dry mouth. It's win-win because it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, 
and as much potassium as a banana. Oh, my mate Lily would love it. It's healthier than sugary sports drinks with no artificial flavors or preservatives and less sugar than an apple. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target. Or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Any other big takeaways from, I guess, Celtics press conferences today or any rewatching of game one um, you want to talk about here? I thought Jalen Brown was super upbeat about his team. Jalen was just kind of like, yeah, we didn't play like ourselves in game one. We're going to do it in game two and like, we'll be fine, guys. I, I thought that was a takeaway from him was like, and even he was asked about not getting as many touches later in the game. And he just kind of said, yeah, like I trust my coaches. I, I trust my teammates. I trust that we'll make better decisions. Like that just wasn't us. It won't happen again. Let's just move on. And that's kind of the sense the Celtics are giving off that a lot of this was self-inflicted. A lot of it was their breakdowns. And I do think the heat, like they, they make you guard everything. Um, one, one other thing that stood out from Brad Stevens' press conference was when he said they can't, they need to know when not to overreact. And I thought there were sometimes that the Celtics really did overreact to like Jimmy Butler catching the ball in the short corner and like all of a sudden three guys are scrambling to him. It's like, what's he going to do from there? Like, like you don't need all that attention on Jimmy Butler in the short corner, but they flew to him and that opened Tyler hero for a three. And I, I felt like there were a lot of possessions like that where the Celtics, like they were scrambling around. They were, they were trying hard to, to guard the heat, but it's like, Sometimes you just got to be smarter about where to send help. And and the, the Heat are really good at forcing you into those decisions and putting you in situations where you don't really know if, if that guy's like the threat or another guy is the threat. Um, and the Heat were really patient, especially in the fourth quarter, I thought, offensively. But the Celtics need to be better about knowing like which situations to send all of that help and when to rotate when not to rotate, they need to be a lot sharper because this Heat offense is unlike Philadelphia, unlike Toronto. They have a lot more threats. They have a lot more shooting and and taller shooters. I think that's important too. Like you can you can touch Lowry, you can touch Van Vliet, like you can impact their shots because they're not as tall. But you have to be sharper against Hero and Robinson, who are six seven, six eight, whatever they are. And so that's. That's kind of the problem because that's another place where the Celtics, it felt like they made mistakes where they would go kind of full send on ball denial to their shooters and get beat back door. And that's something where Bam kind of playing out of the uh, the nail, which is the, a new term that just, I know it's not a new term, but the NBA Twitter loves talking about the nail now and they can just say the top of the key. But if you're in the, if you're in the no, you call it the nail. Bam is very good at playing from the nail and passing from the nail. And it felt like the Celtics would really sell out on trying to ball denial or at least like stay with their guys going for threes. And Hero did some great job making some back cuts. Jimmy made some good back cuts. And it's so it's trying to figure out that balance between 
uh, like going full send, not allowing a, a three to kind of that taller guy versus not letting that back door. I mean, I think at that point, a contested three is probably a better option for the Celtics than a wide open layup. But again, I'm not the one uh, playing, so it's hard to judge that. That's another thing about all of the people on Twitter, like, who are just being like, I think Tatum should have done this in this situation. Or like at the end of the game, I think Tatum should have pulled up. Is like, you know what? I trust Jason Tatum, um, guy who's been playing basketball. Do you love him and trust him? Um. Not to a Marcus Smart level, but yes, I would say I love him and trust him. But like he's been playing basketball and creating his own shot for however long he's going. To, like he's very, very good at basketball. But like I just love people on Twitter's like, nah, he should have done this. Like taking a crossover and then taking two dribbles with Jimmy on his hit, he definitely would have drawn the fouls. Like you know what? I think I trust him, and it's just his instincts to do what's right. Uh, he felt like he could dunk the basketball, and so he went for it. And then he felt like he could make a three-point shot, which he's very capable of doing. I don't know. It's just It seems ridiculous to be kind of like criticizing him and then offering your exact thoughts on what the moves were when you have no idea what, we, what he was seeing or what, like, what the exact context were. It's just uh, it's patently absurd. Yeah, and I, I do think like Tatum can get a lot of his shots against his Heat team. He is going to get a lot of the shots that he wants. I think the Celtics, like, he he took some tough fadeaway twos and stuff like that. Celtics need to be more cognizant of the fact that he can really have his way with, I think, a number of the Heat defenders. Like, Tyler Hero's not going to do anything to him. Duncan Robinson isn't going to do anything to him. I don't think a lot of those guys are going to do anything to him. We talked about this in the Toronto series. What really impacts him is guys who are like up into you, guys who really get into your airspace. This the Heat have a lot of length. Length doesn't bother Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is probably longer than you. He definitely should, has a higher release than you. And so I, I think as this series goes on, the Celtics need to be more willing to just give put him in situations where he can use that. Um, and it won't always end up in a sidestep three. They Celtics shouldn't always want it to end up in a sidestep three, but, but the threat of that sidestep three should open up paint touches, should open up other stuff like that. I, I think Tatum in this series, like it's not like the Toronto series for him. I, I think he's going to end up scoring some of the points the way he normally scores them. Yeah, and I think the Heat, you got to give them credit. I think they did a good job of switching up their coverages pretty frequently. And so the Celtics need to be better at recognizing when they go into that zone and then like doing something to attack it because it feels like every time the Heat kind of switched into the zone, the Celtics would take a possession or two to like figure out, oh, they're in the zone now. This is what we need to do. And I feel like that's something they'll definitely work on. But you're right. I think Jason Tatum clearly looked more comfortable in the offensive end in game one than he did really at all. Uh, in the Raptors series. And so that's got to be, even though he went two for 10 down the stretch, despite two for 10 down the stretch, like he still was quite good. I would say despite getting blocked, uh, that look at the rim was pretty good. And his the shot at the end of uh, regulation was also pretty good. Something we didn't talk about at all yesterday, which is kind of insane. Marcus Smart drawing that foul before the inbounds pass uh, to tie yeah, the game. We, even, we didn't even talk about that because it was such a crazy end. Like, one, Kemba Walker kind of bumped Derek Jones, but like that is classic Marcus Smart that completely changed the kind of the entire uh, tenor of that possession uh, because to be tied and be able to run out the entire clock there is uh, kind of wild. But 
just got to give some credit for it because we didn't do it yesterday, but that was huge. Uh, after being getting Jimmy takes that huge three to kind of tie that game up, I mean, you, you don't even have to be looking at the screen. I think Himmelsbach tweeted that. I was like, you absolutely knew that was smart to basically taking a flop right there, but that's classic Marcus Smart. He's done that so often, but that was a huge play in the game. If Tatum makes that, sh- well, I guess Tatum could have made a three against uh, being down one, but still it, it completely changed that. That was a play that impacts winning. Yeah, I mean, they would have the Celtics would have had to go and try to get a bucket right away, and then given either missed it and fouled or made it and tried to get a stop at, at the end. Um, instead, they had a chance. Like I said, it was a forty percent chance to win the game, and sixty percent of the time you go to overtime. I, I think that Tatum shot was a, was a fine shot, a good shot, just because it there was no risk to it. You were either go- going on or you were going home with a win, and that's all because of Marcus Smart. For the Celtics, it it did not work out. Yeah, that that smart play. He's so good at just positioning himself somewhere where he can flop. You know, it, yeah. it's not, it's not the flop. Like anyone, anyone can, can flop. flop. <laughs> anyone can flop. It's positioning yourself in a spot where the flop can sell the official, and and Smart does that. I think better than anyone. The anticipation he has to know where a guy is going to go and that a guy might sort of run through him. That's is, the other thing. You got to be willing to take the beating and get run through to sell the flop. And Marcus Smart's better than anyone at just absolutely taking a beating. Lowry's up there too. They're both quite good at that. I mean, man. Salute, salute to him. Salute to the Raptors. Can we do a little bit of uh, Clippers slander before we uh, rewrite oh, yeah, we the, the players Clippers. in the series? That was embarrassing last night. Just the com- zero points from Kawhi and Paul George in the fourth quarter. It seemed like they quit. I just don't know where Kawhi was. Like the Kawhi we saw last year where it was pretty much give him the ball and get out and he was going to score a mid-range jump shot just did not exist whatsoever. Paul George took a three that hit the side of the backboard, which was hilarious. Um, and you got, oh my God, the, the pass that Jokic threw with like 25 seconds left over his head, the chunky dime slinger, like no look, that was a thing of beauty. My God, that was amazing. Um, yeah, that was, I'm that was very excited. Chef's kiss at the end of it. That was, I, I mean, I, I think that series spoke to the importance of trust. And I, I I don't think the Clippers ever trusted each other. I don't think they basically said as much after the game. They were like, "Well, we didn't have chemistry." Like I think Lou Will's like, "Yeah, we didn't have any chemistry." Paul George's like, "We didn't have enough time to come together." They they played like it, and and they never had that all season. Like they always would show glimpses, and then they'd go back to being a mediocre team, and then they'd look great, and then it'd be gone again. I've never seen the internet go as crazy <laughs> as it did with just hilarious slander. When the Blazers' backcourt was just roasting the Clippers, that was some of the funniest content I've seen on Twitter since the Clippers kidnapped DeAndre Jordan and forced him to to sign with them. That was some of the most outrageous. And everyone... Everyone, it turned out, hated that Clippers team or at least had no respect for that Clippers team and was trying to get their jokes off. It was a great day on Twitter. I I also think 
the Raptors last year, outside of Kawhi, never got the proper respect. Everyone acted like it was all Kawhi when... We just saw that Raptors team is scrappy as hell and quite they're like tough, talented. They're smart. They're well coached. Th- this year they were one piece away, and Kawhi was fantastic last year. I'm not taking away anything from what he did, but guys acted like that was a one year team or one man team last year. And hell no, no, hell no. The Raptors were. They had a great, great, great supporting cast. OG Ananobi didn't even play and he's really good and i mean but the the one thing even didn't play much in parts of the playoffs last year like that team was loaded with with really good nba players and and they trusted each other and like i said the 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 importance of trust especially in a playoff series when things start to go wrong and and you you start to doubt like you see teams go sideways when they don't trust each other. And the Clippers, they just, they didn't, they, they did not, not at all. They did not love it or trust each other. Not whatsoever. And the one thing that's interesting is like the Raptors very much could have used someone who could go get his own shot in the uh, half court, like they got with Kawhi last year. But Kawhi just didn't seem to really do that uh, at all or have an ability to do that. But I don't think that's like the problem. Well, I think it's, part of it, he he said, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go for it. I, I think part of it, he said after the game, like we have to be smarter, we have to have better basketball IQs, and that's part of like part of him getting the opportunities that he wants is like you have to be patient, you have to be willing to go through the offense, you have to be willing to get him in the spots in the matchups that he wants, and and I like that's part of it. Like you, you can have a game plan if if guys break out of it, then. The game plan doesn't mean shit. <laughs> and so I, the, I think I think that's part of it for Kawhi. Like part of his success last year was that the Raptors were really smart and the players were willing to to trust the offense and get him in the spots that he needed the basketball. And the Clippers, they were never willing to really lean into team basketball like they should have. I mean, it it's hard to trust the guy next to you when it's um I guess Lou will and when Trez. It's Reggie Jackson. And it's well, especially when it's Reggie Jackson. But when it's Trez and he's just getting destroyed on defense, like it doesn't really inspire confidence. I think like the the next extension of trust is like having some sort of resilience. This the Clippers had no like fight, like to allow to a uh, 15 point comeback in the third quarter in game five, and then again in game six. And they just get stopped. In and game then seven. just like the by the half. by the time we were done podcasting, I came back and it was the start. Like the second half was just starting. It was a close game, and just the the Clippers completely wilted and just had absolutely nothing, and just didn't have any of the fight that I think we saw. Like you can play some ugly basketball. We saw the Raptors and Celtics play ugly, ugly basketball, but they both wanted to win and were willing to do whatever it took. The Clippers, on the other hand, uh, just didn't have it. And here's a, like a thing that I just don't know have the answer for, and I think it's mostly because we have a, do a terrible job of uh, evaluating coaches. But this is the third time Doc has lost a series after being up three one. How much of it falls on Doc, or how much of it like the players should be able to like motivate themselves to get up and realize they're about to be embarrassed? I don't know. I mean. 
it's tough to pin all of that on a coach. Um, like every every series is a totally different circumstance, and to one some, of them came when he was the coach for the Orlando Magic, and they were the eight seed, and so it's like. It's fun for it be like slander doc and be like he's done this three times, but nothing count nothing that you do for the Orlando Magic counts statistically. Wasn't that the series when Tracy McGrady was like, Yeah, it's so great to finally be out of the first round and then they never made it out of the first round? I don't know, but if he said that, that's absolutely gold. I'm I'm almost positive that was that was the series. But yeah, I I I mean, every series, like I said, is just a different circumstance. I do think to to some point this Clippers mess is on him. And I, I, I don't think that the roster was ever as as good as people thought it was. I think so like people thought that, that was going to be the most versatile defense in the league. People thought that they were just loaded with scoring. It's like, well when you're playing Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, like your defensive versatility isn't always going to be there. And I, I think people kind of overlooked the flaws on that roster just because the name value of a lot of those guys. So, so that's, think not, that's not on Doc, but but some of it certainly falls on him. And it, like the 15-point leads every half, and then they were up 8 in, or 10 in game 7, whatever it was, and nope. Ultimately, I feel like the leadership, like there's only so much a coach can do. Like that falls on the players. We know Kawhi is not the most vocal guy. It doesn't really seem with like how Paul George talks in the media that he's the most uh, competent leader of men. Like you think about the 08 Celtics and it's Ubuntu and it's like all about togetherness. But that like Doc can say that. But if KG doesn't come in and like, preach that and kind of bring his level of insane commitment it doesn't really mean anything and so it's like easy to blame doc but really that falls on the leadership of the two guys and clearly Kawhi is not like a vocal leader and clearly he had kind of this infrastructure and Wait, Kyle, not much? no he doesn't he actually some people would accuse him of being a robot um but like clearly he had the leadership of Kyle Lowry and things like that while in Toronto I mean who's Who's speaking up in that Clippers locker room? Is it Pat Bev? Uh, is it Marcus Morris? Like, well, who's going to be the leader to kind of like bring them together and like uh, kind of bring that KG level of intensity? Because I just don't see a guy on the roster who you think is like, that's our guy. And I also think like to some extent, they never had like that elite, elite playmaker. I know Lou Will is like a pick and roll but he's not a facilitator he, for others. He, yeah. he can score for himself. But it's like 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 LeBron and the Lakers. They have LeBron like he's playing basketball at just a level that few men ever have. And Kawhi has improved as a passer a ton, but the lack of like elite level game thinking offensively was pretty evident, I thought for the Clippers all season. And and obviously, like, they could have gotten away with that. They had a ton of shot-making, a ton of talent. But normally when they won, it was like that team won because they're really, really skilled and talented. It wasn't like that team is operating on a different level from other squads. 
And I think sometimes when you watch LeBron play, you're like, wow, he's engineering this game in a way that like, like nobody, nobody does. And I think when you look at even the other teams left in the playoffs, the Nuggets, the Celtics, the Heat, it's like those teams really, really spend at least until they go stagnant in the last four minutes. <laughs> they they really execute and everybody's a threat and like they they work together. I never felt like the Clippers had that this season. And R.I.P. R.I.P. to the 2019-2020 Clippers. They were never as good as they thought they were. Nope, and they could never flip the switch. And you're right. Like- way, let's let's give the Nuggets some credit. Nikola Jokic is a problem. The passes is- he's throwing just over problem. the top. The cutters is just insane. And Jamal Murray with his shot making is just, I would say, likewise, a problem. Is he the greatest 34% three-point shooter in history other than Marcus Smart? I think it goes one-two like, right there, Mar- Marcus Smart, Jamal Murray. Like From, I don't- from a shot-making <laughs> standpoint, Murray has been ridiculous. He was literally a 34% three-point shooter I'm, in the regular season. It is insane. It is he hit, insane. He hit one in the second half was just like, fading away just like a runner that was absolutely insane i think it put the nuggets up like 15 but i don't know where this is coming from that they're like you got um michael porter jr just out there saying outlandish things and then making plays jeremy grant's all of a sudden hitting crazy threes i don't all this to say uh lakers in five but i'm like i can't like once the lakers get up three one that's exactly where the nuggets want them and so i don't know that's Props to the Nuggets because I just did not think they were going to get this far, and they, um, the chunky dime slinger is just always will be impressive. He's he's so fun to watch because he he just does shit nobody else does, and he's like that was a series. The Clippers were open about how fatigued they got, and meanwhile, this doughy Serbian bastard is just out there <laughs> slinging dimes. It's unreal. Just making plays left and right. It's like, yeah, to lose, to complain about like not being in shape. And then you just see uh, a man I can only describe as a large galoot just lumbering up and down the court and he's outplaying you. It's just a bad, it was a bad look for the Clippers uh, the entire evening and really the past uh, couple of days. He he moves in slow motion. He just like spins into (laughs) one footed moon scraping three balls. I wish he, the listeners could see that just the pure smile of joy on Jay King's face right now as he describes Nikola Jokic. There is nothing like wa- watching Jokic. It is such a treat because he he should not be nearly as good <laughs> as he is, except he is a genius. He is a genius. And I, I talked about, you know, the the next level playmaking. Well, he's got it, too. And when you have a guy who can who can see the game differently, it opens things up for everybody else. I don't think the Clippers ever had that. No, absolutely not. And the only joy that I can compare to watching Nikola Jokic play basketball is the joy the listeners get in listening to Anything is Potable, the greatest podcast there is about the Boston Celtics. So if you guys have enjoyed listening, which I'm sure you have, Please continue to do so. Subscribe, rate us five stars, and we'll be here after game two, live on Periscope, an early start for the kid, 7 to 7 p.m., so we'll be there right after the Celtics Zoom calls. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of Anything is Potable!